As our kids are heading to O Kids, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Zechariah. I love that song, So Long Moses. It was written by Andrew Peterson. For many of us, we had the privilege of seeing him here and performing that song uh, on Friday the 11th. But really, it's a beautiful song that tells the entire story of the Bible. And Chris, hats off to you. I mean, how about those pictures and words? I, I hope that that was a blessing to you as you could see the story of God, the love of God, and the promise of God unfolding. This Advent season, we've been looking at the minor prophets and their voice in the story. It's an important voice. Remember, minor prophets in the Bible does not mean that they only had a minor thing to say. They had something very important to say. They, they pointed us to God's promise. They just said it in a short and condensed way. So that's why they're called minor prophets, unlike major prophets. It kept droning on longer and longer. Um, but listen, the most important thing is, where is this Savior that they promised? Who is he? Uh, where will he come from? As we sang, you, O Bethlehem, although you're small among the tribes of Judah, one will come who is ancient and strong. One who will come who will be strong enough to save you and me. One will be come that will be strong and mighty enough to bring peace. Peace with a holy God and with us. Listen, and peace to the entire world. How strong must that Messiah be? Let me ask you to look into your own life and say, how strong would your Messiah be to, to unite you to a holy God? How strong, how mighty, how much of a warrior must he be? It's amazing, the one that we receive. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have done most of your shopping online this year? Anybody online is like, okay, not a ton of us. Seriously, how many of you still go to the malls and do those kind of things at this Christmas season? For me, online shopping has transformed Christmas. I haven't been to the mall once this entire Christmas season. And you are getting presents, I promise. I mean, from the comfort of your home, you can sit there with your PJs on and order this and, and get that, you know, free delivery. You can't beat free delivery. It shows up right there at your door. How convenient. I do sometimes miss those, those at least the festive nature of the mall. How, how many of you remember a time where going downtown was a big deal uh, at Christmas time? Because downtown was kind of beautiful and, and decorated. That's what I miss. I miss that downtown feel as you're able to order online. Although online is so easy. Isn't it true that if you ordered something that when it arrives, it's a little bit different when it's delivered than when you bought it, you know? You thought, well, I'm going to get this. And when you get it, you thought, well, it's different than the picture. Maybe I thought it was bigger. Or I was convinced that it would fit and it just doesn't fit. Well, virtual presence, when they arrive and they become reality presence, sometimes what arrives at your door isn't exactly what you thought you clicked on. Yesterday, I made one of the last purchases and we were looking at one item um, and there was several to choose from. And so what I did is I, I wanted, went downstairs and said, hey, Katie, let's, let's pick one of these. What do you think? And we got the one, we both agreed, the one we wanted. Uh, and so then I went and got my credit card information and put it in and hit send. And as soon as I hit send, you know what I realized? I ordered all of them. <laughs> Every single one of them. I mean, all of a sudden the bill pops. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't need to have all of these. And, and to try to undo what you just did, 
I mean, seriously, three calls, uh, three calls later, try this department, try that department. Who knows what's going to be delivered, right? And who knows what's going to get there? I'm hoping that what I ordered is going to be that reality. Well, Christmas is that God's promises have finally been delivered to us. A long-awaited promise of a hero. In God's story, he says there's going to be one who's going to come who's ancient and strong. And this hero is going to do miraculous things. This hero is going to come and he's going to bridge a gap between holy God and, and sinful people. This hero is going to come and, and listen, he's going to give life and life abundantly to his people. This hero will come and he will bring peace. Peace for you and God. But this hero that was to come, he says, not just for you and me, but peace for the whole world. That God will send forth a king of kings and, and the fullness of time. When time is just perfect, God will deliver on his promise. And again, I think sometimes the reality of what was promised feels like a little bit different than the promise it was given. Or the promise that you thought it was. Have you ever been that way with God? Have you ever thought, well, gee, God, I thought you were going to give me this. I thought I was going to deliver that. And this is kind of where I am. Well, that's what we've been doing with the prophets, is the minor prophets, going through this, this series entitled, Do You Hear What I Hear? Because we're looking because God did promise to send to us a savior, send to us a king, send to us a shepherd. And he, he was supposed to do great things through this promised Messiah. He was going to cleanse you, he's promised, of all your unrighteousness. Through the one who was going to come, he's going to clothe you in his beauty. To the one who was going to come, he's going to make you a part of his family. He promised so much. He promised so much that when he made these promises, when like Zechariah made these promises, he says this to the people. And the people were in darkness. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. The people were in some really hard times. But the promises of God were so great that he says this, in the midst of all your junk, in the midst of all your brokenness, shout out, sing loudly, because God has promised so much. God has promised to rescue you. Your king is coming, and he will save us. He will bring peace to the nations. And then we look back 2,000 years and say, hmm, that's the reality of what was delivered. Is it what it was promised? Is God delivered all the things that he said he would deliver for us. So let's look to the promise. We're going to read, start in Zechariah chapter 9 and read two verses there. And then we're going to pick up the story of Mary and what was told to Mary in just two, chapter, two verses in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And this is actually a passage that's often referred to Jesus uh, during the triumphal entry. Because in this passage of Zechariah, it's going to tell us about a king who's coming that's lowly. A king who's coming that, that rides on a donkey. And so if you've been around church, especially around Easter time, you may have heard this referred to. But this is really a wonderful Advent passage as well because it tells us a king is coming and this king is going to do great things. Hear the word of the Lord, Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Let's hit pause. It's very interesting the way this Hebrew word of salvation, it's like he's not just bringing salvation. He's not just saving you. He's saving himself. Salvation is he. He's saying basically a king is coming and this king is so unique that he himself, is salvation. 
But he's humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And he says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We'll look at what that means in a few moments. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 1, verses 31 through 33. The angel of the Lord appearing to Mary and telling her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the God-sized promises that you gave to us about your son, Jesus, to come and to be our king and our savior. And God, we thank you that even in the darkest times, Zechariah would know of his greatness and say, even when things look really bad, that we should sing aloud, that we should rejoice greatly because of your love for us and your provision for us in your son, our savior. Oh God, the reality in our lives sometimes is It's hard to see the greatness of your promise and the reality of our lives. And God, would you come and would you bridge that gap this morning like only you can. It's this time of year that we sing of peace on earth. It's this time of year that we sing Emmanuel, a God with us. And God, we need to be reminded of that peace that you've won for us. We need to be reminded that you are with us and you're for us. Because God, many of us, are in darkness still. Many of us are hurting. So would you come? Would you be with your people? Would you give us the ears to hear your voice? Would you, would you give us minds to understand what, what Zechariah really promised and what you really delivered of the same thing? Would you give us hearts that would embrace this king as our king and our Messiah? And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of his name and according to the values of his kingdom? God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right. We sang a song that says, we need a king who will be on a throne full of power and a sword in his fist. Is that what we get? Let's go back to the original context. When Zechariah was writing, this is hundreds of years before Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem. Zechariah was writing to God's people, and God's people were in a really bad place. God's people weren't in the promised land. They weren't home. God's people, in many ways, had been defeated. Their sin had, had caused them to be exiled. God's people found themselves in Babylon. In the Bible, Babylon's never the place that you want to be for God's people. They were, they were separated from God. But the place they were was like the strongest, mightiest place on earth. Of all the nations of the time, no one was greater and stronger than Babylon. And in the midst of the fact, and put yourself there, 
Put yourself as God's people in exile, in the strongest nation of the world, and God's going to tell you in the midst of your darkness, listen, rejoice greatly because God's going to send you a king. And this king is going to be such a mighty warrior that he's going to be able to get a victory from even mighty Babylon. Even all the things that you see around you, he is going to be able to destroy and bring you home. What kind of king do they think this is going to be? Let's talk about your life specifically. How many times have you felt that you've been in a Babylon of your own life? How many times have you felt just gripped by life's struggles and darkness and you thought to yourself, could God ever really deliver me out of this? Has there been a sin that you've committed and you thought, well, I've gone too far? Or, or has there been a trial that's been so strong or, or, or just a, a relationship that's gone so awry? Have you ever been to the place where you're saying, really, God, you can save me out of this? This darkness, you can shine? Well, that's ever been you, and I bet it has been. This is God's people. What kind of king could come and rescue us? So here's what Zechariah says. It's amazing. So this king's going to come. And by the way, he's humble. Now, you read that in the English, you think, okay, he's a humble. He's going to be really strong. He's going to be a warrior. Oh my goodness, he's going he's to destroy Babylon. He's going to save me. He's got to be a warrior, but he's going to be a humble warrior. What a, what a cool thing. No, no. The Hebrew here, humble, is probably a lot more than what you and I think of humble. It basically means this. This king is going to be poor. This king is not only going to be poor, it actually is going to be afflicted. The reason he's humble is not that it's something he shows and demonstrates. The reason he's going to be humble, because everything around him is going to be humble. Because he is going to be so lowly, so poor, so afflicted, that only all he can do is be humble. So the first thing we see, as you want to follow along in the bulletin, uh, there's an outline for you. The first thing we see is our lowly king is our salvation, and he's lowly. He's humble. He's poor, and he's afflicted. You may want to say, well, why? Why would we need a king who is humble? Why would we need one who's poor and afflicted? Well, the only way that this king could be a savior of the world, listen, the only way this king could be your savior and relate to you is to be humble, low, and afflicted. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I see uh, either star athletes or Hollywood or, or see those that in society hold up as the heroes and the stars. I can't relate to them. You know, their story seems so different than my story. Their lifestyle seems so different than my lifestyle. Their worlds are so different than my worlds. But God is a God who says, I'm going to come into the world and there's not one of you who's not able to relate to me. Because the king that I'm going to send to you, he's basically saying he's an average Joe. He's absolutely an average Joe. Scripture says there's going to be nothing about his physical appearance that's going to draw you to him. There's going to be nothing about him that's going to be like magnified and high and lifted up, although he is high and lifted up. Although he is God's son and holy, you and I are going to be able to relate to the eternal God of the universe because this king is going to show up and he's going to be poor and afflicted. And every single one of us have access and can relate to him. Every single one of us, as we go through life, know that we have a king who says, been there, done that, I know, I know what you're experiencing. I know I can relate to you. God loves us enough to give one who is poor, lowly, and humble to relate to us. But it's not just relate to us, it's to rescue us. 
You see, he had to be poor. He had to be afflicted. And he was afflicted by our own sins and transgressions. Poor and afflicted. Why? So he could come find us. He could come and, and be with us in our poverty. He could come be with us in our affliction. He can bear them himself in his body so that he can save us. He himself is our Savior. In his wounds we are healed. If he wasn't poor and lowly and afflicted, we would never know salvation. We'd still be in our dark places far, far from God. But he came to rescue us, to relate to us. But the question we got to ask this morning is this. What kind of kingdom does a lowly, afflicted, humble king bring? What kind of values are a part of that kingdom? Because he says this. It says that he's going to come with salvation. So the story of the gospel, the story of God is this. He's going to rescue us from a kingdom of this world, and he's going to bring us into a kingdom of his own, the kingdom of God. So the question we got to ask is, what kind of kingdom does a lowly, afflicted king bring to us? Well, in this kingdom of God, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, being lowly, being poor, being humble, are blessed. Jesus arrived on earth in his public ministry. He announced good news. The good news of what God was doing. And the good news that the, the gospel of the kingdom was at hand. He went everywhere and he preached the same thing. The gospel of the kingdom at hand. He'd say things like this. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here right now. And he would tell us about the values of this kingdom. He stood on a mountain. Uh, he stood on the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave this, this sermon. And he started talking about this kingdom of God. He said this. Blessed are the poor. They're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit is how it says in the Gospel of Matthew. But the Gospel of Luke just says, plain old simple, blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And he realized that in this upside-down kingdom that God was going to bring, this poor, afflicted king would bring a kingdom that was completely different than the world's. That somehow it was blessed by, by knowing that you're poor. That by knowing that you're needy. That by knowing that, that life wasn't about you becoming dependent and being strong, but somehow through poverty, you knew that God had to fill a void that only he could fill. Blessed are the poor. Because theirs is the kingdom of God. You understand the kingdom of God? You understand your poverty. He also says the values of this. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. For they shall inherit the earth. That it's not about dog-eat-dog world. It's not about climbing the corporate ladder. It's not about looking out for number one. The values of this kingdom, this king who came that was lowly and meek and afflicted, he says to us, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who, who look out for the interests of others. Blessed are those, because why? They shall inherit the earth. And they shall rule and reign for me. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. The values of this kingdom aren't blessed are the ones who strap on bombs and go into public places. It's not the ones who take a sword and, and kill in his name. No, no. Blessed are the ones who go with love. Blessed are the ones who go with grace. Blessed are the ones who go with mercy. Blessed are those, because they will be called my family. They'll be sons of God. When Jesus came, he, he not only announced the new kingdom, but he announced the priority of the kingdom. He said, this kingdom is so radically different that really it's, it's the, the kingdom, the values of the king and kingdom. It's what you should seek first and foremost in your life. You got to hear this. Jesus tells us that we are to seek ye first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So this lowly afflicted king comes. He comes with a new kingdom. And it's, it's not just salvation, it's a way of life. It's, it's everything about our life. He says, of all the things you pursue, of all the things you seek, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. It's Jesus, when he taught his own disciples to pray, he says, about this kingdom, we should pray for it. That's what we should pray most about. Knowing that God is a holy God and and blessed be his name. But what do we pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, This kingdom is what we're to seek most. This kingdom we're to pray for first and foremost. I've often said about this kingdom, when you realize what Jesus is asking of us, he says these things. Live in submission to Christ as king. He came, listen, we see him as this little, all I could think about is uh, uh, Talladega Nights is in my mind. I want to pray to the baby, the little baby Jesus. That's the baby I want to pray to. And many of us, although we laugh at that sacrilegious moment, it's kind of funny if you've seen Talladega Nights. If you haven't, just humor me for a minute. They're having a blessing around a meal. It's NASCAR racers, and they're praying, and they like to pray to little baby Jesus because that's the one I want to picture. And I think many of us want to picture a Jesus of our own design, a Jesus in our own image. But Jesus came. Listen, this king came. He was lowly. He was afflicted. He was poor. But he's God's son. He is the king of kings. And listen, he is the Lord of lords. And we're to live our lives in a way that his kingdom values are our kingdom values. That we live according to what he's asked us to do. We seek first his kingdom. We basically do this. We live our lives in submission to Christ as king. The most important thing isn't us. It's not about our name. It's not about our fortune. It's not about our fame. It's not about our security. It's not about our, our family. And those things are important to God, but they're all seen as we submit to God as our king. Seek first his kingdom. Live your life in submission to Christ as king. He purchased you with his own blood. He reigns and rules over you if you are his. He has every right to you. And now we're to live our lives in submission to him. What does that look like for you tomorrow morning? What does it look like tomorrow morning, or or even as you leave here, what does it look like for you to say, I'm living my life in submission to Christ as King? Not only in submission, but on mission for Christ as King. Because we're to seek his kingdom first. That's our mission. Our mission, our, our goal in life of all the things, the preeminent goal is to advance the cause of Christ. You know the crazy, I mean, what's more crazy? That God says, I'm gonna show up and bring victory through a lowly, poor, afflicted king or I'm going to tell my story through poor, afflicted people. You see, that poor and afflicted has always been a very important part of the story. It's that humbleness is a part of the story that God wants you and me to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world as we are in submission to him and on mission for him. Okay, well, how does this king... How does this king and come and get world victory, world peace? Did you remember what we read in Zechariah? It says that he's going to come and there's going to be peace to all nations, just not the nation of Israel, but all nations, that every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then it says something, maybe you didn't pick it up, but it says something very interesting. He says a warrior is going to come, a king's going to come, and he's going to take away all the chariots, 
uh, from the promised land. He's going to take away all the bows. He's going to take away all the horses. Now, you may want to say, this is kind of cool. He's going to go to Babylon. He's going to take away their chariots, their horses, and their bows. No, no, no. He doesn't say he's doing that to Babylon. He says, in my hometown, in my promised land, I'm going to take away all the war accoutrements. Everything that, that has to do with a war the way that you think of waging war, they're going to be all gone. And what are we left? We're left with a weaponless warrior. The second thing, who is our peace? A weaponless warrior. Well, I know you've heard it said that you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. But what do you bring to find salvation for God's people? What do you bring to earn world peace? Clearly what was promised by Zechariah. Listen, listen. Clearly what was promised by Zechariah and clearly what was delivered by God himself in the fullness of time in Bethlehem was a warrior who was going to fight a completely different battle. It wasn't about the Babylon they thought. It wasn't about the Rome that they thought. It wasn't about the current situation of, of political nature. There was a complete different battle that was raging that he was going to fight. There was a complete different war that he was going to be a part of. He would come and he would battle not against flesh and blood, but he would fight a bigger battle. This warrior shows up and the battle he, fe- he, he fights is the greatest battle between God and man. It's what separated God and man. He fights sin, death, and evil. And he did it with his bare hands. He said, I'm not going to come with any bows. I'm not going to come with any tanks. I'm not going to come with any chariots. I'm not going to come. My kingdom does not have any of those instruments. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? This is the Prince of Peace. This is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who has no chariots, no horses, no bows, and fights evil with his bare hands. It was his life. It was his life. He came to live the life that we were supposed to live, die the death we deserved to die. It was his life. How could he secure peace on earth? I love what it says. He is our peace. He is the one. He and he alone. He became our sin. He bore our sin. The wrath of God was placed on him. We can find peace with a holy God now only through him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no peace without him. But in him, there's lasting peace. And in his kingdom will come. And the reign of his kingdom, the nations will come to know him. According to the Bible, and there's a day coming that there will be peace on earth. What kind of warrior does a weaponless warrior train? Because we are in his kingdom. What kind of warrior does he want you to be? We think about jihads. We think about holy war. We think about religious zealots and are told that, you know, give your life, blow yourself up, blow others up, go and take the, take the uh, elements and the uh, instruments of war and wreak havoc in our world. It's not the God of the Bible. Take your life and give it away. Take your life and submit to me and my kingdom. Take your life and lead with love. Take your life and and speak truth and love to those around you. Be humble. Consider others better than yourselves. Go and I'm going to tell my love story through you. And all you got to be is you. You don't have to be anybody else. Just in love with me and, and as you submit to my kingdom and you live on mission for my kingdom, the kingdom advances. A warrior who denies himself. 
a warrior who knows that he's in a spiritual battle. He doesn't strap himself with bombs. Instead, he puts on a full armor of God and he leads with love. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul talks about that kind of warrior. And he says this. He says that we are to put on the full armor of God so we'll be able to take a stand against what? Against the schemes of the devil. That's the battle we have, first and foremost. It's a spiritual one. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is what we put on. These are our accoutrements of our battle. And the shoes, shoot up, have your feet with the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the eagle one. Put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. Because why? Because our warrior came and defeated enemy, our greatest enemy, death itself. And now we fight a defeated foe, but we still battle. Jesus came to take away the penalty of sin. He came and he bore that penalty himself. So if you're his, you're declared not guilty. It's incredible. And he tells us that one day he's coming that he'll remove the presence of sin, but it's not been fully removed yet. And now we're in a battle over the power of sin. And until he removes the presence of sin, that's the battle we continue to fight. That's the kind of warrior that he trains us to be so that we can have life and life eternally. What's the result of this? As we come to a conclusion, I, I want to point you to, to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is a picture of heaven. Revelation, really, John's going to tell us, and it's, it's apocalyptic language, sometimes very hard to understand what it's actually being communicated, but there's clear truth that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he has secured a victory for us and for God. It's very interesting. It says, it looks to heaven, and behold, there is a Lamb of God who was slain, one who, who has obviously been wounded for us, and yet he's provided victory for us. It says that by his blood, he's purchased us, he's redeemed us, and he's made us, you ready for this, a kingdom of priests. Because of a king who would come, who was lowly and afflicted, he would be afflicted to the point of death. A weaponless warrior would come, and he would bear the brunt of God's wrath. He would be slain for us, and he still bears the marks of that victory in heaven. But he did something for us. He says, now you are a kingdom of priests. Now the reality, we are the part of the kingdom of God. And now we are the ones who represent him. What does it say to us? We're his storytellers. We're his storytellers. We're the ones who, who represent God to the people. We're his ambassadors. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And what kind of sacrifices do we offer as a kingdom of priests? We don't offer blood of goats and bulls. We offer our lives. We offer a sacrifice of praise. We offer prayers for those around us because we are a kingdom of priests. Here's the point you can't miss. Zechariah promised that someone's going to come and rescue you. 
And he's going to be like lowly and poor. He's going to be afflicted. But through his afflictions, you and I are going to be healed. And he's going to be the peace of the world. And he's brought peace, and now he wants to extend that peace through us. But the message is not one that we stand and leave. It's one that transforms us every day. Because we are a kingdom of priests to tell the good news of what Christ has done. I've already sent some things back that came in the mail that didn't fit, weren't right, didn't like it. But God has sent us a promised delivery. The delivery has come. He's coming again. But we don't have the ability to send it back. Say, God, send me another Savior. This Jesus fellow didn't work for me. Need another one. A little bit too lowly, a little bit too meek, a little bit too whatever. This is God's gift to us. This is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't shape him, he shapes us. We don't see if we, he fits into our schedules. We have the privilege of kneeling before him and confessing him as Lord and surrendering our lives to him. He's a gift that he will never, we'll never send back and he'll never take away from us. How is it with you? Have you embraced this king this one who is lowly and poor? Are you living your life with kingdom values? Are you being that weaponless warrior for King Jesus, battling like he has, knowing that the victory is secure in him? In Jesus, we get the gift. Just go with me here. It truly gives all year long. It's a gift that keeps giving. It'll never stop giving. It gives us life and life abundantly. To the lowly and afflicted, see your Savior and have hope. Let us pray. Father, I love the fact that your Holy Spirit allowed Zechariah to see something. When the people were absolutely encased in darkness, and when their enemies seemed so giant and big, you promised a Savior to come. And yet you told us the truth, that he would be humble. He would be poor and he would be afflicted so that we could be given life and life abundantly. Jesus, thank you for coming and thank you for the answer of that promise is you. You are our salvation and you are our peace. And thank you for the privilege you've given us to live as a part of your kingdom. Oh, Holy Spirit, may the gospel be alive and well with your people. May the values of this kingdom become more and more our values. God, forgive us because the reality is is we don't seek your kingdom first. We don't even pray that your kingdom will come often. But God, remind us that we've been rescued from the darkness and the bleakness of this kingdom on earth. You've given us something so much more. And we thank you that what you told Mary is true, that your kingdom will have no end. We look forward to the day that that peace on earth will be realized fully and the presence of sin will be forever removed. But God, until that day, may we be your ambassadors, your storytellers, your little points of light and hope that tell your story. As poor and afflicted as we are, in the power of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.